0: As you all know, Sharp Football Analysis is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. And this week, we are opening up the entire site to everyone. 2021 Sharp Football Free Week is here, and all our picks, analysis, fantasy coverage, props, content will be free and open to the public. Sign up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Go follow the site handle on Twitter, at SharpFBanalysis, for all the content and play releases throughout the week. That's sharpfootballanalysis.com and SharpFBanalysis. FB analysis on Twitter to take advantage of Sharp Football Free Week 2021.
1: What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy Family? It is the resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar. And we are here in week 11, just one week out from Thanksgiving. I don't know if it's a thing that we are to week 11 or you know oh we're only in week 11 yet I feel like I have a push and pull with that still all the time but let me introduce my guest here uh we are in the phone a friend segment of the fantasy season because we're at the end of the end of the line here towards so maybe that answers the question I just asked we're kind of at the end of the line because I'm making all the all my buddies that I've made in the fantasy industry come on and do this podcast uh and one of my good friends here that I talk to on a daily basis uh is on the show today and it's JJ Zacharyson. JJ what's up my brother
0: What's up, man? It's good to do a show with you. We don't do enough of these shows.
1: No, how is it actually, you know, seeing my face instead of just uh, the constant texts and DMs that we have every day?
0: Yeah, I know. It's a little bit different. I mean, to be fair, you know, like there's a lot of people that I do shows with and that you do shows with that we only know online, but we've hung out plenty of times. So like we, we at least know each other. We've seen, we've seen each other from the waist down before. And I don't mean that in any sort of uh, R-rated way, obviously. Uh, I just mean that we've seen each other IRL.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if it, it's been too long, actually, I think the last time we actually hung out was in Tampa Bay um, at FSCA. That was like I think two or three years ago at this point. Yeah, it's a so
0: while.
1: We're overdue, but obviously with uh, everything that's gone on uh, in the universe, uh, it's, put a, it's, cramped, uh, it's cramped all those fantasy events and all of our get-togethers in the off offseason. Uh, but one thing I always like to ask when people come on the show is I, I like to get a little bit of background of the guest. And you're so established in the industry at this point. Um, that, and and I think a lot of people perceive you as younger guy, although I believe that, you know, someone did say you were over 40 this week on your Twitter feed. Uh, But I think the perception is that you've always done this, right? Like you're, you've been young enough to, you've just always done fantasy football, but you actually have not. So kind of give a little bit of background on, you know, how you got to this point in your life.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, I think a lot of people sort of hit that like fork in the road with their career when they hit like 30, maybe, you know, you get like a decade or so in the real world, and then you just kind of, like take a step back and you look back on, on everything that you've done. And you're like, what am I doing here? Like what, like, I'm not getting any enjoyment out of this. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Uh, this just sucks. And then you say, I got to find a passion project. I got to do something that really lights that fire for me. Um, that just happened to come pretty early on in my career. So I went to school, got my degree in marketing uh, I always had like a graphic and web design background. I did a lot of front-end uh, development stuff and graphic design stuff. It was all self-taught in like middle school and high school. And then uh, out of school then, I, was, I decided to uh, go work for a couple of ad agencies. And so I was living in Cincinnati, which is where Procter & Gamble's at. And so there's so many ad agencies in that area, if anyone lives there and, and knows about the area. But there's so many ad agencies there because Procter and Gamble, P and G, just farms out all of that that work to ad agencies. So, I joined an ad agency, was a project manager, and while I was there, uh, it only took me like a year, year and a half before I'm like, what am I doing right now? I'm just not not getting enough out of this. Like, you know, part of it was that like the the project management role I had was very very admin driven, and it it wasn't really, and it was an entry level kind of gig. You know, I was out of school, that kind of thing. I'm not saying that that's what project management is. I'm just saying that the gig that i had just wasn't really like just wasn't doing it for me and so i just decided one day to sort of like and i remember the day vividly i opened up a word document while i was at work it was like the afternoon all my work was done and i just started like throwing stuff onto this sheet into this into this word document of like the things that i'm passionate about and one of the things that that popped up was fantasy football i mean like anyone who ended up doing this as their job or even as a hobby you know it starts off by you being the guy who's way, way more into it than the rest of your home league. Right. And that was always the case for me, for sure. Um, I would get in arguments back in the day on ESPN when they had like the, I don't even know if they're the message forums or the the league message forums. I don't even know if they still exist over there, but like I'd go back and forth with my buddies and like, just do it all day long. And so, you know, at the time, it was uh, around the time that like uh, that, that huge 2011 quarterback season happened uh, where it was that near lockout season. Uh, and then they, they all came out and they, you know, a lot of overs were hit and, uh, you know, quarterbacks were just performing out of their minds and all the while, like entering then towards the end of that 2011 season and entering 2012, uh, 2012, a lot of analysts out there were saying, Oh, you got to get quarterbacks early now because you know, this huge quarterback spike that happened, uh, you need one of these quarterbacks on your team. And that was like, I think it was Cam Newton's rookie year. It might've been, maybe, maybe it was his second year. I don't remember, but Uh, you know, you had like, uh, Matthew Stafford had a huge season that year. Even Eli Manning had a decent season that year. And so I looked at the space and I was like, this doesn't really make any sense logically. So I'm like, sort of like, uh, intersecting the, uh, the fact that this is one of my passions, you know, that I wrote down that word document to what was going on out there, uh, within the space. And I'm saying to myself, this doesn't make any sense. I've been drafting quarterbacks late, my entire fantasy career. Uh and and I've done well and it's been successful. And I know there's math and logic behind this. At the time I never really like dug into it, really. But um, you know, so I just started to like put down my thoughts into what I thought was gonna be like an article or maybe a series of articles that I would publish somewhere. I have no idea. But given my background in like web and graphic design, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna at the time, you know, it wasn't very normal to, uh, publish like eBooks or like digital downloads. It wasn't like that. It wasn't nearly as big and common as it is now. And so I decided to like code an ebook to be responsive on different devices and stuff, did all the design work for it and stuff like that. And I wrote what became, uh, the late round quarterback. And then sort of from there, after I published it, uh, you know, I started my blog, late QB.com. And then a year after I started that blog, you know, less than a year, about six months later, you know, Evan Silva hits me up when he was working at Roto world You know, I did some work for Roto World, did a series there. And then Mike Clay hits me up when he was at Pro Football Focus, and I did like three articles at PFF. And then uh, I got a call from Numberfire and their CEO, Nick Bonadio, uh, he hits me up and he's like, hey, we need someone to run content for us. And so that's where I got my break and got a full-time job in the industry at in 2013, I want to say it was, I was like 24, 25 years old.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, there were the late round QB website. Does that still exist? Is it, is it still up?
0: It's still up. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I still, I still publish our, so our pod, the living the stream podcast feed uh, still runs through late round com. But I started another site where I, you know, it's more consumer facing on live the stream com. But yeah, I mean, it basically houses living the stream and technically all of the old articles are somewhere out there on the, on the internet. And I mean, I know that you do this too, but if you look back at any of that content that you wrote in like 2013, 2014, you read that and you're like, what was I thinking? Like, this is just, (laughs) it's just not good stuff. Like, yeah, the fundamentals are there. Like even like Mm -hmm. the Konami code article that you did for number fire that became, you know, what it is now you know, you look back and like, there are definitely better ways to approach yes. that, but the, but, the, but the general idea, right? The general idea is most definitely on point. And that's what I feel like with a lot of the stuff that I did, that like, the general idea is definitely there, but the way that I analyzed and the data that I used, I mean, things have evolved so much through the years and I've gotten better myself um, to the point where, you know, looking back, i am it's kind of cringeworthy a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean the comic the comic code article surf resurfaces kind of every year through something, and, and it's it's hard to read. It, it's it's hard. Right, like, right. It's it is. Uh, yeah, and I remember you know some of the the greats that came up at late round QB like Chad Scott, my boy, and uh yeah. Lad, Lad Chris Davies, Raybon? Lad Chris Davies. Oh, yeah, and late, yeah. round
0: Q, oh and the, late round QB. Yeah, it was it was yeah. uh, Chad Scott, Lad <laughs> Davies, Austin Cass, who still Austin actually is an editor at at Fanduel right now. We he's a full time guy over at Fanduel. So I, I, brought him on, uh, years ago. I mean, he, I basically been working with him now for like eight or nine years, uh, Austin. Cause he was one of the, the people that were at late round QB.com, but yeah, it was Austin lad, Chad. Uh, I'm, I'm missing. Oh, Sal wrote a little bit at late round QB.com. Uh, Sal, Sal, Stefan, uh, stuff. I never can say his last name. Um, but yeah, I mean it's a it's it's really it's it's cool. And then since then, you know, at number fire. There's been a lot of guys that have sort of come up through that system too. That's what I was referring to with like Chris Raybon, Scott Barrett, Grant Barfield, and and that's been really cool to see too.
1: Yeah, the number fire coaching tree is is looking pretty strong these days. Yeah. Uh, you know, you they all you're like the Sean McVay of uh, fantasy I tried football. To be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you tee me up for a great segue. You know, we talked that you talked about that 2011 season coming off of you know the lockout. It was the at that time it was the Highest scoring season in NFL history. We are just coming off of the new highest scoring season in NFL history last year, that also occurred in unique, you know, circumstances. No preseason. Uh, we've all had all different COVID rules. The NFL actually decided not to call any holding penalties last year, uh, which was very cool. I do miss, uh, you know, just letting the the, the offensive lineman hold, let, let that yeah, happen again in too. NFL. Yeah. But we saw kind of a dynamic shift again in fantasy football where. It wasn't so much that early round quarterbacks became a thing, but there was a specific archetype of quarterback that was drafted highly. And we look at it look at it now uh, and how things have played out through 10 weeks in the NFL. And it only 10 weeks and some things have happened. But, you know, we've got Jalen Hurts basically sitting as the quarterback that's had the most quarterback one scoring weeks on the season. He's actually had three more than any other player uh, in the NFL. And he hasn't had his bye week yet. So one yeah. little, little grain of salt. But, you know, Kirk Cousins has the second most. Uh, We've seen guys like Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady uh, be really kind of viable, you know, top high end quarterbacks in fantasy season. So is was the was the demise of late round quarterback, you know, kind of always overstated. And like, are we still in a state where like streaming can be viable uh, or is it just more like, you know, the, the parameters of what happened in terms of what the archetype of those quarterbacks kind of provided and everyone just wanted to chase that?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, and I know that's kind of like a lame answer, but I feel like it's the truth. You know, I, I sort of entered the season and that was the part that I got right with the season. I had two two like really strong takes about the quarterback position entering the year. The one was that we weren't going to see numbers like we saw in 2020. Like there was going to be at least some regression to some degree. And we're, we're seeing that. I mean, if you look at, Top 12 quarterbacks this year, they're scoring less than top 12 quarterbacks from last year. It's less than a point per game on average, but that's still sort of significant when you're talking about points per game. And then if you look at the top six quarterbacks, that's all they've taken actually an even bigger hit than top 12 quarterbacks have. So you're not getting like the elite eliteness that we saw last year out of some of those guys where you sort of had everything come together. Uh, And then the other thing that happened last year that I did think was going to happen to some degree this year was we've become a lot better, or at least we're, we're starting to get a lot better. At recognizing what really boosts quarterback scoring, which is the rushing component, and so if you look at top twelve quarterbacks through the years, if you go back to like since twenty eleven, um, and if you look at how they've correlated uh, their, their their draft position, their average draft position versus how many points they scored, uh, we used to not see any correlation w- when it comes to top twelve quarterbacks and how they scored. Meaning, uh, I, you know, there were there were some years in there, like in twenty fifteen and twenty fourteen and like twenty sixteen and seventeen. There were years in there where you had just as good of a chance to find the QB1 in fantasy football if you drafted the 12th quarterback as you did drafting the first quarterback in, in a fantasy draft. And so there was all this like fluctuation and variance and it made it a lot easier to say, just draft your quarterbacks late. There's really no reason to be drafting Aaron Rodgers in the third or fourth round. It just doesn't make any sense. So then fast forward to what happened this past year and this past season, and I think that it was predictable to some degree. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. had written about it. I know you had written about it too, where the, the quarterback average draft position shifted, not from the perspective that they were being drafted earlier, but from the perspective that, players were and fantasy managers were drafting the right kind of quarterbacks finally, where they were getting players who had the mobility, who had the rushing upside, but now we're in this NFL where not only can those guys run well, but they can also throw the ball. Well, you Mm -hmm. know, the only seasons in in history that we had really seen where, you know, like, like last year we see like Josh Allen do what he did. And we see Kyler Murray doing what he did before that injury to something, you know, and then we see like Lamar Jackson doing what he's doing. And, and their passing numbers are so robust, but their rushing numbers are also so robust. Whereas we would maybe see that every once in a while as a, like a one-off like Cam Newton MVP season, but we mm-hmm. wouldn't see that as dramatically as we saw it this past year. And what that means is it was a lot easier to predict which quarterbacks were going to be good uh, entering the season. And so I thought that aspect of things was going to remain pretty similar. And I think we're seeing that to some degree, you know, like the guys who were drafted higher in fantasy drafts are generally you know, the better quarterbacks in fantasy football right now. Um, But I also think that, you know, you can look at, and I've seen the take out there that, you know, there's pocket passers, you know, you mentioned Kirk Cousins, you can mention Matthew Stafford, and obviously Tom Brady, you know, there's these, these pocket passers who are, uh, you know, still very, very relevant in fantasy football this year. And so that's a knock on Konami code. That's a knock on the mobility angle and argument for quarterbacks in fantasy football, Guys, this has never been about a black and white thing. I mean, we all should recognize that pocket passers can and will still be relevant fantasy football. This is about probability. Um, And if you look at the high-end fantasy seasons in today's game, uh, you know, you have Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes. They're all top seven quarterbacks. And I mentioned Mahomes there because he's seventh in the league in quarterback rushing yards. So you're still getting that from a lot of these quarterbacks. It's It's just that, you know, you're going to have pocket passers having these sort of like, outlier seasons or or pocket passers who are just in good environments like Tom Brady. Um, But to get that really high end season, you're still going to need that rushing component. So, you know, the way that that, or, you know, probability wise. So the way that I sort of see this um, is that yes, quarterbacks are more predictable and that's going to allow us to uh, have some sort of advantage or more of an advantage that we did in the past drafting quarterbacks a little bit earlier than we used to, you know, there's, there's more reason to do something like that. But at the same time, it's not close to what we saw in 2020, just in terms of the replaceability of the position, uh, in terms of the high end performances that we've seen from some of those quarterbacks. And not only that, you know, I cited those numbers at the beginning where top 12 quarterbacks are a little bit worse this year than last year. Top six quarterbacks are definitely worse this year than last year. We're, I'm also referencing the first 10 weeks of the season where we know towards the the end of seasons, we see that that crunch up a little bit more because it's harder for quarterbacks to really give you those spiked weeks. And so essentially, you know, I'm taking the, the season long averages from last year and then the, the season long averages from this year are actually skewed higher just because we should expect quarterbacks to just naturally dip a little bit as like the colder weather comes in and like worse conditions and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I would say that, you know, I don't think... The late round quarterback strategy has completely gone away, but I do think it's gone away if you think of it from the perspective of streaming. If you think of late round quarterback being streaming, and a lot of this though has to do with the fact that quarterback percent roster numbers across leagues are very flat now, and it's very difficult to have because there's information everywhere and people are rostering quarterbacks that that, you know, typically, you know, historically they might not have rostered. And so from the standpoint of like what we do giving advice, right. And like saying, this is the guy that you should stream this week. We're work- working off of like percent rostered numbers, right? Like if you go to Yahoo or something and Tua is rostered in 60% of leagues or 50% of leagues, you can't recommend them all of a sudden, right? Like now, now you're really looking at the bottom of the barrel guys, whereas, you know, in, in a lot of leagues, he's still out there and you're going to get a lot of those like 40 to 60% guys. I think that's where streaming is a little bit more difficult because, these guys are being rostered at different rates than they used to be rostered at, um, but it's still viable to some degree. It's just that that it's just not as good and as obvious and easy. I mean, back back in like 2015, we were streaming QB fours to QB sixes, you know, on, point, yeah. on a points per game basis, like pretty pretty often. So that's sort of where I'm at. I think it's like in the middle of what we saw last year. There's a lot of reasons for that. You noted some of them. You know, I think that there's something to the fact that there were no fans last year and opposing quarterbacks were able to call out more at the line of scrimmage and be able to dictate a little bit more offensively than what they would, you know, this season per se uh, or, or any other season. You know, I think there's reasons as to why, you know, quarterback scoring was as high as it was last year. Um, and we're just seeing some natural regression then this year.
1: Yeah. I did a whole article about this in the sharp, sharp uh, football preview for 2020. Cause I thought it was super interesting. You know, the, the, the COVID, the no home field, the penalty situation, all that was really yeah. cool. One of the other things I wrote about, too, was that, you know, still from a leverage stance, as great as a scoring season it was for quarterbacks last year, it, the position itself still provided the least amount of leverage, you know, mm. uh, of having that that apex score. And I think we do always get excited because we look at the archetype. We always want to be able to draft the guy that could be the highest scored position, right? Whether that be Dak Prescott or, you know, Josh Allen last year but even hitting on those guys still provides so little leverage that sometimes it gets lost That having the QB five, like is still really relevant, you know, instead of having the QB one. Uh, and I think we're seeing that, you know, really play out, especially for DFS this season, uh, because, you know, everyone wants to pay up for quarterbacks, these guys that, that can have those 30 point, you know, spike weeks, but, you know, now it's found we're finding out that you can save a little bit of salary stuff, like a, uh, you know, like the QB five in a week, like Tom Brady, for example, Tom Brady's still even this season, has only had two top three scoring weeks, you know, but he's regularly hitting, you know, like QB5 to QB8, like every week. And that's kind of why his season-long stats are so good. But from a weekly stance, he's not, like, just winning. You're not winning just solely because of Tom Brady. Um, And the highest he has finished is QB3 in a week. Uh, But, you know, having him where you got him and just still being in that ballpark is, like, a significant leverage point. Because the guy, the, the, the person that drafted Kyler Murray in the fourth or fifth round, or just say Josh Allen, for example, because he's been probably better long, like he's the largest sample of being elite uh, this season, uh, in high scoring weeks, like he's still not providing you that kind of leverage over the field. Uh, and then we saw that happen in 2020, even with being the highest scoring season. So we kind of an inflection point right now of like, we, we know what the kind of quarterbacks are gonna be high scoring, but also you don't want to elevate them in terms of drafting overall players still, like you said uh we don't make like we don't want to start taking these guys in the 3rd or 4th round um right. because they're just not providing you know that kind of leverage
0: yeah i mean um, but but like since the beginning of time people have confused consistency in terms of predictability yes. like like where these guys are being drafted and their ability to finish where they were drafted you know i mentioned that last year we finally saw uh you know a very consistent r squared and correlation between adp and postseason result for these quarterbacks that, that only tells you half the story because the other half is how many points are they scoring? You know, if they were still only mm-hmm. giving you one more point than a replacement level player, then they still don't matter. Right. So don't, don't confuse the consistency aspect of things, you know, with uh, these players being super valuable. I think that's just one part of this, this piece. It's just that historically we, we saw b- both things not happen where, where quarterbacks weren't consistent in terms of predictability and uh, they weren't giving you any sort of edge in terms of points scored.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I gotta, uh, you know, we'll shift back, uh, you know, back and forth between football and stuff, and it's all football related, anyways. But you know, everyone it, we're in an era where everyone has a podcast. Look, they're even making me host the podcast. Never host the podcast before, uh, trying to trying to find my way through this thing. But you have created what is arguably on the pantheon of you know fantasy football podcasts. This you know kind of unique space uh, that while everyone had a podcast, you said I'm going to do shorter podcasts. Uh, And put out more of them. And I think that you put out more actionable content per minute of a podcast than literally anybody, you know, that, that is doing a podcast right now, you know, including myself. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I kind of just want to hit on because I think a lot of people say like you are just going on and doing this, this short content show, you know, 15, 20 minute show. Sometimes you do shorter, you do like an eight minute show or something. Yeah. It's just whatever the information is, that's where you cut off. And a lot of people think that this is easy or replicable. You know, we just went, lived through the pandemic, right? So content creation is at all time high because people are home, they're looking for other avenues to do things, are looking for a different career paths to go down. So you're starting to see more people create content uh, in this space. And I think a lot of people see what you're doing and say, I, I can replicate that. But give us a little bit of a background uh, of what goes into, you know, the creation of that podcast, because it's not just you coming on and talking for 15 minutes.
0: No, I wish it was just me hopping on and talking for 15 minutes. That'd be, that'd be pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that it was, first off, it was a conscious choice for me to make the show short and consumable and digestible in the way that it is. I mean, if you if you were to go back and listen to like the first 10 episodes or something, it's not as... Uh, structured as it is now, you know, you just kind of grow and you learn more about what you want the show to be. But from the start, uh, I entered uh, the, the the late round podcast and thinking that uh, it was going to essentially be like a TED talk for people, that every episode you're going to walk away and think about things a little bit differently. Um, and the way to do that and to make it, it, it's it has to come in the form of sort of like a presentation type format, right? And that turns some people off. I mean, I totally get it. Like, I, I've 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 heard every ounce of criticism from people, uh, whether they say that my vo- my voice is really annoying, or whether they say that, uh, you know, the the show is too short, or uh, whether they say that it sounds like that I'm shouting at these people, or that I'm talking down to them, or something like that. But you know, the only way, number one, it's a solo podcast. So the only way to make a solo podcast entertaining is to make your voice louder and have a lot more enthusiasm behind that voice because otherwise you know people are going to shut that off and not want to listen to it So that that's one aspect of things like my wife always jokes with me that i have like my normal podcast voice like what we're talking about here and then there's the late round podcast voice which is just like this next level enthusiasm and so which i I totally get i mean it's not going to be for everyone necessarily but it's all a conscious decision because if you know i sat back and i looked at the the fantasy space. And I was like, all there is, is like hour long podcasts around here. There's nothing that's like concise, just like quick. Uh, and as, as you've referred it to, you know, your shower podcast, you know, something that you can listen to, uh, the whole thing while you're in the shower and get all the information that you need. And so that that's really sort of how I approach the show. You know, there's a lot of ways that this is a space that's very, very crowded. As you noted, everyone wants to be a fantasy football analyst and you got to find ways to differentiate yourself and stand out. And it doesn't always have to be the content itself that you're providing, you know, the, the analysis that you're providing, sometimes it can just be the, the way that you're providing that the medium that you're providing that, that content. And that's sort of uh, how I, I looked at the late round podcast. Now, in terms of like how much effort goes into that uh, I've heard people be like, why, why is this only 15 minutes? Why is it only, why, why is it only 20 minutes and, and not 45 minutes? And I'm like, guys, the amount of information that I'm putting in this show, it's just boom. I mean, you know, you've listened to it. it's just boom, 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 boom. Like I'm trying to get as much stuff out there and into your brains as I possibly can. Uh, it would be impossible for me to make this any longer. Uh, not only because, you know, my voice would go and I, uh, just wouldn't be able to, to, to manage that, but also because there's just not much more information. Like I'm putting all of my takes out there and all the information that I can out there. And so when I put that show together, I know that it, it comes out, it spits out as, you know, the 10 trend show each week is only like eight to 10 minutes or the, uh, you know, the, the sleeper show is 15 minutes and, and people are like, oh, that's not that long, but I'm, I'm putting a lot of words in there. There's not, there's no ums, there's no pauses within the show because uh, I'm editing all of that out so that it can be as concise as it is. So when people hear me on a show like this, where I'm more conversational and I'm just talking to someone. Uh, they realize that I'm not saying uhs or they realize that I am saying "us" and ums and I'm re-saying some of the things that I said and I'm uh you know not saying things mm-hmm. super super clearly and concisely and that's because in the later on podcast I'm editing things so heavily so that it can be as consumable as it is so there's a lot of work that goes into it
1: Yeah. And we've seen that from a writing stance too of content creation, that kind of how writing has died a little bit too, because a lot of people don't want to write an article because of the time effort that it takes to put an article, you know, you just don't sit down and write the article. Uh, You know, I might even do an 800 word article, but it might be, the, I might have done eight hours of research the day before and pulled all this stuff to be able to write around that one article uh, And you know I don't want to call anyone lazy. I don't want to put that out there but you know people find out how much work actually goes into these things yes. when they step into the space um, and listen it's it's a great podcast. It is my shower podcast and we've already had you know the waist down conversation and me listening <laughs> in the shower so we can see where this is going um, One of the things else that, that you've really kind of started up, uh, and this is recently, uh, is the eastcoastads.com. Dot, dot yep. And, you know, uh, I'll let you kind of just lay out exactly what it is because it is not this thing that's just, you know, non-inclusive. It is kind of a uh, more to it. So I'll let you, uh, sell what that is and then let the people know like exactly what it is. Cause it actually is for a good cause as well.
0: Yeah. So I became a dad, uh, three year about three years ago, a little over three years ago, uh, I have a little daughter. And since that point, I mean, I feel like, like when you become a parent, you don't understand sleep deprivation until those first few months. Like you just, it's, it's like insane that parents go through that. And like, you have no idea as a non-parent what that actually is like. And then you experience it and you're like, I have so much more respect for every human being that's ever had a child, you know, after going through that. Uh, And so I know that, you know, obviously like the demographic that we speak to, there's a lot of dads out there. There's just a lot of parents out there. You know, it doesn't have to be exclusively dads, but there's a lot of parents out there and also, if you live on the East Coast and you're in Eastern Standard Time, uh, which both of us are, uh, you experience uh, a lot of fatigue because these primetime games start at 8 30 or 8 20 or whatever, 8 15. And they'll go sometimes, I mean, especially like an overtime game, they'll go past midnight. And if you have a kid, then I mean, your kid doesn't care. Your kids, your, your toddler, your toddler's going to go to bed at 7 30, 8 o'clock, and your toddler's going to wake up at 6 to 7 or even earlier in some cases. And your toddler is not going to care that the primetime game went late. And so the primetime game goes late. You got to wake up with your kid the next morning because it's impossible not to. And so all of a sudden you got five hours of sleep instead. and I'm, I'm a big, big proponent of good sleep. Like I, 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 I hate, I despise. <laughs> when guys like Russell Wilson come out there and they're like, Oh, I, I sleep two and a half hours a night. It's like, bro, that's not, it's not a brag. Like that's, you're just telling us that you're not, you're not treating your body well. And then there's, you know, there's like the JJ Watts out there who, who says that, you know, he sleeps like 14 hours a night. So he, he gets it. He understands it. But, but like I, I, I treasure sleep. Sleep is important. And so last year I just started tweeting about East coast dads and I put like a little trademark symbol at the end of it. as like a little joke. Like it was an actual thing tweeted about East Coast dads anytime like a game would start to get late. You know, I'd say like, oh, you know, this is bad, bad news for East Coast dads. Or like, you know, if a quarterback makes like a, has like an interception while he's like going down for like a game tying drive that could force overtime. And like the quarterback, let's say Daniel Jones throws a pick. Then I can say like, oh, Daniel Jones is looking out for East Coast dads, right? Because he wants us to go to bed at a reasonable time. So I decided then to take, I mean, it got to the point, man, where I was shocked one time. I think it was like the back-to-back. It was like week three or four or something this year. There were back-to-back games on Sunday night. There was the the uh, the crazy weather. Was it uh, Kansas City? Or was it? No, it was a San Francisco game maybe. There was like a crazy weather. There was a Kansas City game where there was a weather delay. Wasn't it? Yeah, there was there Bills. Was like a, Bills, Bills Chiefs. Bills Chiefs. That's right. You're right. So there was that game. And then the next night I think was a, was a Baltimore game that went into overtime or something. Cause it goes, Baltimore goes into overtime every week. And so, so it was like a back-to-back horrific East coast dad situation. And I, I, I Twitter searched East coast dads and I was expecting the only people talking about East coast dads was going to be people that were like adding me on Twitter. Right. And like, like, put, like hitting my mentions about East coast dads, there were like, Tens of like almost a hundred tweets of people talking about East coast ads that were not even like, they weren't even like following me on Twitter. Like it was just like organically happening. And so I sat back and I realized like, I have this platform right now started this really stupid joke. I might as well benefit from this, not for me, but just for the world in general. I don't need to, I'm not trying to like make a profit off of a stupid bit. And so I started a shop where all profits where you can get hoodies and t-shirts and East coast ads. There's like a little East coast ads logo started a shop um where you can buy the the hoodies and t-shirts and all profits then go to no kid hungry which is a, a great great charity that I think all parents and dads can get behind and look this is not exclusively a dad's thing you know a lot of people are like well what about moms or what about I'm not a I don't have a kid uh you know what you know I can't buy this or I live on the I, I live in central time I can't buy this, this is a mentality folks. This is not just about like East coast dad specifically. This is about losing sleep because the NFL schedules these games so late.
1: Yeah. I love it. And it, you know, as an East coast dad, uh, you know, it, it is tough. Uh, you it. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I totally get it. it. Like you said, it's, it's a lifestyle, man. It's about, you know, just having, you know, respect for right. And even if you're a West coast dad, or West Coast mom, and the game ends at a reason oh, you just have more time to do other things in your life. Uh, so right. it, it it helps. Uh, although it's funny, though, still you say, like, I, you know, you still see the actual numbers on the hood of uh, how much we're still skewing to the dad demographic. Uh, we still have a long, long oh, path yeah. to, to, to get to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we,
0: need, we need some more females out there. We do
1: I, need more, more moms.
0: I do want to, I'm not <laughs> trying to discriminate against anyone here. And if someone wants to launch an East Coast mom's line or something, I am all for it and I will support you. <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. Uh, You know, we go back to last week too. Uh, You know, we kind of end up seeing what ended up being the the chalkiest DFS slate of the year. Uh, You know, we had significant, you know, running backs go down and open the door for a lot of cheap running backs to put a site to Nick Chubb, Mm -hmm. Alvin Kamara, uh, you know, even Damian Harris, you know, missed that game. Um, and we had another, you know, running back one go down this week with Aaron Jones, you know, being, you know, hitting the shelf. We've had a lot of running backs miss time this year. You know, if you've drafted a running back and you've, if you've, got, if you've drafted Ezekiel Elliott or Jonathan Taylor, like you've just been happy, like, and they've been good, but like they, they've legitimately just been on the field. Right. Like, yeah, right. like right. <laughs> right. um, and, you know, we aren't going to really kind of go into, like, the pitfalls of, like, you know, draft strategy. We don't have to do and, like, highlight like, zero, running, zero running back or, you know, anchor running back, things that, like, we are proponents of. Uh, but we both wrote articles this offseason that talked about just, like, the selection of running back twos, improving our selection of taking bench running backs and uh, of depth running backs and making that more a point of emphasis on our rosters uh, to kind of, you know, reap the benefits, you know, and kind of find some more of these breakouts. And um, yours was called the ambiguous running back one theory, which um, is something that we bounce back and forth with in, like DMs a lot and a, a lot of conversation about it, because I do believe this is something that will event it's going to continue to grow, but has been a point of leverage for fantasy drafters. So kind of take us through what the ambiguous running back theory was. And, you know, we can kind of talk about some of the guys that have, you know, blossomed under the umbrella of those thoughts this season.
0: Yeah, so a couple of years ago I did a breakout running back article. Uh, you know, basically looked at like breakout running backs and the way that I defined it was I looked at backs who outscored their ADP, the, their ADP expectation, uh which was just found with like some linear regression, but just out outperformed their ADP expectation by 100 or more points and that were drafted after round 5. So after pick 60 arbitrary. Yes. I mean, that's sort of what you have to do with fantasy analysis. A lot of times you just kind of put Mm -hmm. arbitrary thresholds in there so that you can at least like formulate an argument and come up with something cool. And so uh, after looking at that and digging into the criteria and stuff, one of the things that was just so insanely obvious was that you should be targeting ambiguous backfields. And by ambiguous backfields, I'm referring to backfields where uh, the starter. Um, it is not drafted early in drafts, not taken in the first, second, or third round, which really tells you that you shouldn't be drafting handcuffs, right? Like that, that's, that's essentially like what the alternative way to, to sort of view that would be, uh, because if you look at, at all the running back breakouts over the last decade, uh, the, the average, uh, running back, uh, had an ADP, either his ADP or his teammates ADP, uh, was over pick 60. Uh, in terms of the breakout. So if you're if you're talking about guys who were drafted really, really late, uh, they generally had a teammate being drafted that, that broke out. They generally had a teammate that was drafted ahead of them, right? So like you can look at this year, like Cordero Patterson, right? His RB1, Mike Davis was selected, let's say what, pick 50-ish, you know, around there. Um, and so that would be his data point for that. Whereas we generally would not see a player like uh, James Conner or D'Angelo Williams uh, where their breakout years uh came where Le'Veon Bell was like pick three, uh, you know, ADP wise. Uh he just, you know, he held out the one year and then he got hurt the other year. Uh we generally don't see those players hit at a very high rate. It's usually the ambiguous backfields. And so I then took that a step further this offseason. And it was really in conjunction, you know, like you did some some work. You approached it differently than I did. Um you know in terms of like how you were defining hit and how you were uh looking at this this stuff. But a lot of our uh conclusions were were fairly similar. In that, uh, you know, when looking at breakouts from the standpoint of, of exceeding expectation by 100 or more points, it was very clear that in the middle round, so I'm looking at round six through nine, uh, RB1s were better than RB2s. Uh, just in ter- the, the, the hit rate for those guys still weren't significant because we don't see very many hits in the middle rounds at running back to begin with. But the, the hit rates for those guys was what I found to be twice as good as the hit rates for, for RB2s. you are shrinking the target. RB2s. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And so from there, then I realized, and this is a more small sample noisy thing, but then I wrote about the ambiguous RB1 theory, which, was, uh, which, which says when you're looking for ambiguous backfields to target, you should be attacking middle round team RB1s who have teammates who are also being selected in the middle rounds. And so mm-hmm. what that means was, what, what, what that you know, I, anytime I like have this discovery that like this data is skewing one way really dramatically and like it's alarming, you know, like it, you can't miss it. Uh, I try to take a step back and say, is this logical? Does does this make sense? Is there some noise in there? And with the ambiguous RB1 theory, what I sort of told myself, and I think it's logical, is that, you know, a lot of these guys in the middle rounds who are being drafted, a running back who have a teammate drafted with them, uh, that tells us that there's probably some skepticism and question marks around how that backfield is going to be split up. But at the same time, they're part of a backfield that is supposed to score fantasy points. So if you look at this season, you know, you had – Chase Edmonds versus James Conner. Okay. That's the Arizona backfield. Like it's a good offense. Obviously people are trying to target running backs in the Kyler Murray led offense. And then you look at, um, you know, another one being uh, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. Okay. Well that's a backfield where uh, you know, you've Tom Brady, at quarterback. So obviously if they're going to score a lot of points, it's an attractive situation. And so if you looked at the RB ones in those situations, they hit at a very, very high rate historically, like an insanely high rate. And so you know, this season hasn't necessarily been as dramatic as previous seasons, but there are still some hits, you know, I, 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 the way that I approach this, cause a lot of people, after I published the ambiguous RB one theory, all they could think about was that theory alone, instead of like where that stemmed from, if that makes sense. Right. Cause right. it stemmed from the idea. Number one, at a super high level target, ambiguous backfields. We'll like, they just want the answer
1: that. to the test. Just give That's me the right. answer to the right. test. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> Number one, you got to you gotta first target ambiguous backfields. Find backfields where the the RB1s and the RB2s are all being drafted in the middle rounds, into the late rounds, et cetera, et cetera. Find those ambiguous backfields. And then from there, find the RB1s, period, right? Like you, in the middle rounds, that is. I'm not talking about like the dead zone. I'm talking rounds like six through nine is what I looked at. Find the RB1s on their teams. And we're talking team RB1s here. So, you know, someone like Kareem Hunt a little bit of a different situation just because we know, you know, you obviously have to take a case by case, but someone like Kareem Hunt doesn't fit that mold because he's the RB2 on his team. Someone like Michael Carter did fit the mold because he's the RB1 on his team pretty clearly. But the thing with Michael Carter, he didn't have an RB2 on his team being drafted also in the middle rounds. And so... Uh, that's really what, you know, that those are the layers to it. Look at the ambiguous backfields, look and see if they're an RB one. And then from there, see if they're part of this, R- ambiguous RB one theory where they have a teammate drafted there with them. And, you know, I think that there have been some obvious misses with that approach, but the way that I think, uh, the, the, the thing that I, th- I believe people don't always get right is that we're thinking about this from a probability standpoint. We're not thinking about this from like a this is absolutely going to happen. And this is absolutely not going to happen. You know, like James Connor, he hit this year, right? Not only, I mean, to be honest, he hit even before the chase Edmonds injury in terms of looking at like where he was being drafted um, and his ADP expectation and exceeding that expectation because he was finding the end zone so much, right? Like it was, he was, he was going to look fine at the end of the season. Uh, Melvin Gordon has hit to some degree. He's an RB two in his backfield and he's been fine as well. But I think that people are still missing out. Like, Damian Harris was an RB one in his backfield and he hit this year. Michael Carter has now come on, you know, over the last few weeks and he looks like he could be a top 24, you know, an RB two type Leonard Fournette was part Mm -hmm. of an ambiguous backfield. He's, he's the biggest one, I think. And the ADP that I grabbed from, I grabbed from my fantasy league. Leonard Fournette was being drafted ahead of Ronald Jones. According to that ADP this season. I remember, I remember at one point someone asked me about Leonard Fournette, like who are the RB ones that you should be selecting. And I was like, I guess it's Leonard Fournette based on this theory and based on the, the ADP that MFL uh, is providing. So Leonard Fournette was another one, you know, Daryl Henderson at one point after the Sony Michelle trade, Daryl Henderson was an RB one. And part Mm -hmm. of this ambiguous RB one theory because Sony Michelle was a middle round pick. And so uh, you know, there are still some big hits in there. It's just that this season in general, there's been a lot of injuries and a lot of movement up top. And that naturally means a lot of stuff is going on with those middle rounds, those middle round backs, right? And so you're going to see a lot of hits. I think there's just going to be a lot more hits. It's a lot more, um, you know, positive, or a lot more um fantasy points just in general being scored from those middle round guys. So naturally you'll get more RB2s than you typically do, but you're getting a lot of RB1s this year too in those middle rounds. So I still think that like, what we research and what we found still holds a lot of weight.
1: Yeah. And it goes into conjunction with a lot of other things that we've seen come up over the recent years of fantasy football. You know, the RB dead zone had a lot of popularity uh, of last couple off seasons and the anchor RB running approach or whatever, you know, hero RB, whatever people call it. Um, And all that stuff is tied to that, right. It's tied to this, this conversation that, you know, the the ambiguous RB one theory has had, you know, uh, avoiding those, you know, that, that, that next tier of guys after the top tier guys, and then focusing on these backfields that are, you know, kind of discounted, but uh, you know, no, one's really kind of glomming onto in terms of ADP dictating that. So that's kind of, you know, works in conjunction in terms of just building out a draft structure around all these principles, right? That's how you how these things came to be. Uh, and, you know, that's how we got here, and, you know, it, it's interesting because when you talk about the like, middle rounds of drafts, people in the middle rounds of drafts, like, one, don't totally understand, like, the actual hit rates of these players, and they just draft for, like, specific outcomes, right? That's why we always see handcuffed running backs go higher than they should because they say, well, if Ezekiel gets hurt, I've got this, and those, those guys get elevated, but it typically doesn't work out that way, that one singular range of outcomes of taking a player, right? It really never works out. Uh, and that's why, you know, attacking these kind of, you know, backfields uh, that are kind of, you know, crowded have been, have provided those leverage points and you don't know. Uh, and then, you know, you obviously we talk about, you know, the, you know, not being kind of glued in onto these guys that are only there because they're supposed to be there. Like Mike Davis, if we really believed in Mike Davis this off season is from a talent perspective, he would have been a third round pick, right? Like at right. minimum. And because of where he's at, like, it's an instant, it doesn't mean like you totally get to Coral Patterson, because people are drafting quadrillion, but it's like those are the bites you take, right? Those are the bites of the apple that that you take uh, when you're taking like kind of like those bench running backs. Um, but yeah, I had the same thing. It didn't work out. Like Trey Sermon was one of those guys, right? Uh, ADP was there. Looked like he was going to be kind of the guy they trade up for him, but it actually ends up being Elijah Mitchell. So the actual specific player wasn't right, but like the situation, like the process was still kind of there. Like this was the this was still a target, right? Yeah. Uh, of what to get you don't always get to the right player always but you know you're there you had, we had zach moss uh same thing right zach moss has still been a relative hit he's been more successful than i think not um in that same area uh you know both cardinals guys have both gotten there uh you said Damien harris Leonard for michael carter now has kind of got the a little bit of a runway uh so yeah i mean hopefully people start to focus on that because a lot of people say i don't understand the situation i'm gonna avoid it right
0: right yeah yeah and that, <laughs> that, that that's the problem right like like, I, I think that uh, people, wa- and this is the problem that I have in general. This is definitely a little bit off topic, but this is also the problem that I have with people drafting off of projections because projections give you a median outcome for a player where you're not able to necessarily think outside that, that little box uh, whenever you're drafting, you know, I understand it a lot more in like the first or second round, whatever. But once you get to round five, round six, round seven, none of these guys have established roles. Like very rarely do they have very established roles. So you might as well look at that, that wide range of outcome there and, and, uh, and, and target one of those players. And, you know, the other thing too, that I, I think is really important is all of these concepts that people have come up with, uh, whether it's anchor RB, whether it's the running back dead zone, what have you, they all work in conjunction, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they, they all are saying the same thing. You know, anchor RB is telling you that the hit rates for running backs in the dead zone, right. Are Mm -hmm. not very strong. Right. And then, and, and to get running backs then in rounds six through nine, as opposed to getting running backs in rounds four and five. Uh, That's really what it's saying. But then the dead zone is saying, don't draft running backs in rounds four and five. Well, that's sort of what anchor (laughs) RB is saying as well, right? It's not not like that dramatically different. And so, and then the other thing that I want to at least touch on is the idea of handcuffing. And I think that there's a a huge, huge, huge bias. Um, And I think it's like a positivity bias where- Oh, it is. (laughs) when, 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 When these running backs go down with an injury and their handcuff steps in, everyone sees that singular handcuff and they say, see- handcuffing works right now is a perfect example with aaron jones right you held on to aj Dillon. i mean aj dillon has been usable in his own way and and certain formats for sure but i'm talking more like a 10 or 12 team home league you know you're not necessarily trotting out aj Dillon every week um but but aaron jones gets hurt and then people are going to say this is why you handcuff aaron jones you know uh cmc got hurt this is why you handcuff christian mccaffrey dalvin cook gets hurt this is why you handcuff and get Ale- alexander madison well here, there's, there's a few problems with that. Number one, uh, I did a study on this and most of these injuries to these top end running backs are happening past week eight. So that means that you're holding on to these, these handcuff running backs for eight weeks, getting you absolutely nothing. When you go to the waiver wire and you want to pick someone up, who do you think the first player to drop is going to be? It's going to be the handcuff that's doing absolutely nothing on your team right now, right? And so a lot of these guys are actually available by the time that these, these players get hurt. I mean, Chuba Hubbard's a great example of that. And that was even earlier in the season. Chuba Hubbard was basically available. And, you know, he was a waiver wire pickup in columns because he was available in so many leagues. So don't overstate that. And then don't also don't overstate the fact that guys are getting hurt all the time. Running backs are getting hurt all the time and their backups are stepping in and those backups do nothing. You know, I did a, I did that study on handcuffing uh, a few years ago. So it's a little bit outdated. But when I looked at situations where the RB one actually did get hurt, and so we have an RB two stepping in, and we're assuming that you have that guy, his average output was like an RB four. I mean, he like he he didn't do anything. Not only because we get it wrong a lot of times, but because they just underperformed. There's a reason they're backup running backs, right? Right. I mean, like a- AJ <laughs> Dillon is a AJ Dylan's a good running back. Like I-, I think AJ. I mean, he's gonna smash, right? Like he's a he's gonna be great with Green Bay with Aaron Jones out. And so like, I understand there are some situations where this isn't like, and even like Tony Pollard, like there, there are some situations where, you know, you can, you can take a calculated risk, whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, if Zeke doesn't get hurt this year and you've been holding on to Tony Pollard all year, that was a wasted space. Like that, that was, it was just, you know, you're barely using Tony Pollard. And I'm talking again, like. You know, you and I are in leagues where we're, you know, I'm, I'm using Tony Pollard week in and week out, but like a lot of more casual leagues in the audience that we talk to in their home leagues, they're not going to be trotting them out every week. And so uh, it's just something to think about. You know, I, I think that a lot of people focus too much on um, these handcuffs hitting without realizing how often they don't hit.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and ever that's the biggest point. It's like you, these guys are back up for a reason. It's like I, I did the same thing. Post a lot of data on this, and also, I mean, you've held AJ Dillon for ten weeks, and you're going to reap these rewards now, which is great. But you, I mean, you could have also Debo Samuel. <laughs> like, you right. Could have, like, right, exactly. There's,
0: there's a high opportunity <laughs> like, cost for these high end handcuffs are getting drafted. Exactly, and,
1: and we can say that, and I could cherry pick guys around the ADP, but the, those are like the opportunity costs, like you forfeit. Though, uh, you know, guys like Brandon Cooks that had similar ADPs, or you know, even even like a James Conner, but like uh you know yeah the, the, it, it comes to territory uh and that's something i believe that will never go away it'll, it'll always be like a line in the sand where people can't get over the hump uh because it's insurance right like it's the same right. thing it's it's people will always uh you know have that fear of missing out in the back of their minds especially when they get later in the drafts i did a draft with my son this year my son's 16 he's super into fantasy football now and he took aaron jones in the first round and he wanted to take aaron he wanted to take a.j dylan in the the, the eighth or ninth round and i'm like you already took it like, like you already placed your bet and he's like oh well i want to you know insure it and i was like well because like, you could do that or like or you could take you know uh i'm trying to think of who was on the board that he took i think it was like chase claypool and like claypool yeah. wasn't hit but it's like there was so much more uh, like uh, of actual upside for your team like claypool had a couple of usable games and stuff but you know what i mean like if, if it all comes together like your team's even better than just having two roster spots do one thing Uh, on your roster. (laughs) And it comes, it it
0: comes down, honestly. And and look, you know, years ago, I played things very, very conservatively, both as a player and an analyst. And, and, you know, I was fine, but I've been a much better player thinking more in terms of winning my league and thinking more in terms of like, first is the only thing that matters first or second, you know, like I want to get my money back or I want to win a little bit of money or I want to win this league. Right. And when you think that way and you sort of flip that switch, you start to think in terms of upside a lot more and you start to think more in terms of like range of outcomes and stuff. And this is why when you look at like, I think best ball strategy can really help us sort of like understand this a little bit, like the the stuff that best ball analysts are uncovering with the the data that they're looking at. And one of the things like Mike Leone from established the runs done really good work with this, but, and like Mike beers, uh, you know, over the years has done good work with this as well. But one of the reasons why going like three running backs to start your draft and that's it, those are the only three running backs that you Uh, that you draft for your fantasy team and for your best ball team. The the main reason that works and that has been successful is because you're making the assumption that those running backs aren't getting hurt, that those running backs aren't busting. And you need to make some of those assumptions more often in your draft than you do, because what you're doing when you get AJ Dillon, when you have Aaron Jones is that you're assuming that something's going to happen to Aaron Jones. You're making some sort of assumption there. And, And that's a negative assumption, right? You need to think more in terms of, of upside. You're thinking more in terms of downside, by doing something like that. And this is what always like ruins people's brains when I talk about it. But I'm like, look, if you're going to go the handcuff route, like if you really, really want to get a handcuff, then get another player's handcuff, like get Alexander Madison. If you draft Aaron Jones, because then all of a sudden you have tremendous upside, you know, I'm not a big advocate to get handcuffs regardless, unless they have some sort of standalone value. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, and, and some of the, especially in like best ball, like guys like Tony Pollard and AJ Dillon make a little bit more sense. Cause they're going to have some usable weeks in here and there. Like it's, it's a lot easier. And then obviously the upside exists there too, but don't get them whenever you get the army ones in their team, because all you're doing is capping your upside.
1: Yeah. And I would say right now, as we approach the 11th hour of the fantasy regular season, if any of those guys are out there on waivers, like, uh, like Sony Michelle is a good one. He's probably on a ton yeah. of
0: waiver wires. Like yeah. those are
1: the guys you start picking up.
0: Yeah, the end of like right now, get them yeah. now. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, those are absolutely. You, you, that's what you want to start loading your bench up with. And, and I think a lot of the leagues are sharper. But if, if that is the case, because I still see a lot of even almost industry leagues where Sony like a guy like Sony Michelle's out there, like because yeah. he hasn't been usable at all. But those are the guys who want to load up your bench for the playoff run. Because, uh, you know, like you said, end of the season where you start to see running backs miss time. Uh, one of these guys can step into a spot and be a starter for you on your, you know, wide receiver, heavy rosters and and you're loaded in. Yeah. Um, And
0: and it, it also obviously depends on like where your team is at. I always tell people this too. Like if you're in, if you're really, really good shape and you can somehow like, maybe you have Zeke and you can trade for Tony Pollard for just a bench asset. Not a bad idea if you're in really, really good shape, because then you know that you'll continue to be in good shape. You know, if an injury happens to Zeke, whereas if you need more variance, then if you have Zeke try to get a Sony Michelle or something on your bench because then all of a sudden you already have Zeke. And then if something happens to Daryl Henderson, now you have potentially two RB ones or at least an RB one and RB two.
1: Yeah. And I would say if you're a team in the middle and like trying to decide on, you know, how you're going to play this, you know, trade deadlines and leagues that are coming up, like you have to be thinking about like high variance players like you said, focus on the upside of winning. Uh, you know, you might be turned off and say like, Oh, I don't want to trade for a Tyler Lockett. Like he hasn't been that good. But you right. need to. Those are the kind of guys. If you're in the middle and you you know you're chasing these teams that are eight and two or seven and three or nine and one, uh, you know, or even a team that maybe is running the purest and it's ten and zero at this point. Uh, if you have some of those, it's been a weird year. I don't know if anyone's really running ten and ten and 0's out there. I'm true. sure they are exist. I can already yeah. see people in my league. But uh, you know, those you have to be thinking about high variance players if you're in the middle. Like you're going to be the sixth seed in your fantasy playoffs, or the five seed, you know, like the, even the four seed, like you need to start thinking about adding those types of players. Because that's the only way you're going to run down those 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 really elite yeah. teams. So you have to always be thinking about that kind of stuff. And a lot of people don't because, one, the the fear of what's already happened and the pre the happened to date. One, they think that that's static, and then you know, two, they just don't want to put their you know lay out the risk. But like you so said, you should only be thinking about winning your league.
0: Yeah, and don't don't put too much stock into. Thinking that you know more than you actually do, or thinking that you have all the answers, a really good example of this is like Miles Sanders right now, right? Where mm-hmm. I think from a median outcome standpoint, and if we were to project Miles Sanders from here on out, we would say there he's probably going to be in a split backfield with Jordan Howard to some degree because Jordan Howard's playing really well and like they seem to like him, and it's it's really it's going to be tough for them to just be like, oh, Miles Sanders is going to have the same backfield share that he had right before he got hurt, which for the record, I know he wasn't seeing a lot of volume, but he was seeing a really good backfield share, which is why he was an intriguing buy right b- before he got hurt because the schedule was opening up a little bit uh, and and he already had that back sh- that, that backfield share. Even though we would project, you know, a median like boring outcome for Miles Sanders from here on out, if you're a bad team or like a fringe playoff team, that's the kind of player that you could always just try to take on and say, all right, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that doesn't happen. You know, maybe, maybe he actually takes on – uh, a really, really big portion of that backfield. And then all of a sudden he's like an RB2 that you can easily plug and play week in and week out. So that's sort of the way that your brain should shift. You know, if you're a first place team, you're feeling good. You don't need to take on a player like Miles Sanders. But if you're a if you're a fringe playoff team or something, then you can take on something like that because you need that variance.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Uh, and we're, we're running against it here, but I do want to just get some general thoughts on the this this week 11, you know, fantasy football landscape. It does have to be DFS or whatever. We can talk about whatever you want. Uh, but just kind of, you know, what you're looking for, uh, you know, to see the, to see happen on the field this week or just a player you're excited for or a situation. I can tell you right now, like the, the player I'm kind of most interested in and it's completely on brand and it's, it's Justin Fields. Uh, I, I want to see how Justin Fields one play is coming out of the buy, but also because he built up kind of a two game sample before the buy where there was some life here and he's a top 12 quarterback. So he fits that archetype that we talk about, right? High variance. You could yeah. be one of those guys if you've been playing Derek Carr or you know say you've had Kyler Murray and you've been streaming since then but maybe Justin Fields is a guy that is you know has this uh you know kind of upside to win league, win leagues you know towards the end of the season but and I'm also looking for a matchup stance because Baltimore is going to blitz his face off like that's right. what they do uh it blitz at the third highest rate in the league you know if you look at you know the full body of Justin Fields splits he's been terrible against the blitz but he has been better uh you know over the past three games you know because he gets blitzed at one of the highest rates of any any quarterback in the league um but he has been really better against the blitz the past three games well so if he can come out of the bye have a positive you know flirt with the top 12 performance i think against the ravens and the type of defensive structure they're gonna have then i'm gonna be really really interested in what he can kind of provide the end of the season so uh you know you can spin it whatever you want like what are some of the things you're looking for this weekend in fantasy football
0: yeah. There's a couple of things. things, uh, you know, one sort of in the same line of thinking with, as you just had with Justin Fields, I'm curious to see what happens with the Panthers offense with Cam mm, News yeah. center. I mean, I think that's a big one. Um, you know, no chase young too for Washington, obviously. And so like that, you know, that could help things a little bit, but I, you know, beyond like what cam can do when, when we get some sample of like what these tendencies will look like for the Panthers offense, then we're going to shift our opinions for a lot of these players. I mean, like, what if Robbie Anderson is resurrected a little bit? I I don't think it's like out of his range of outcomes that, you know, last week he had a 19% target share with mostly PJ Walker, but he had that, that touchdown. And uh, you know, it's not gonna be that difficult for cam to, to match what Darnold was doing through the air. Um, And so I, I, I'm, I'm at least intrigued by, by what could go down with this Panthers though. And then uh, sort of what that looks like from a tendency standpoint and the target shares for a lot of guys in that offense um, and then the other thing that I'm kind of intrigued by, you know, I just mentioned Miles Sanders over the last three weeks, you've seen Philly go with this super run heavy approach. Right. Um, and, and Jalen hurts is averaging 18 pass attempts per game over his last three. You know, it was, he was, they were a little bit more pass heavy against Denver in a different kind of script, a l- little bit different kind of script where, you know, they didn't play Detroit where they were just up big the whole game. They didn't play the chargers where you just run on the chargers and that's how you approach it. Uh, you know, they played this game against Denver where it was sort of like in the middle. Um, and so I'm just curious though, about this matchup specifically against New Orleans, because New Orleans has been a team over the last handful of years that teams have not been able to, to run the ball on very well. And so is that going to force them, force the Eagles to uh, show their, the, this new identity? Like, is this their new identity or is this something that has been somewhat game script and game matchup dependent? And then all of a sudden, you know, we see a little bit more volume through the air. We see a little bit more scrambling from Jalen Hurts. And that makes those pieces a little bit more viable. So that, that's another matchup where, no, it's not going to be that intriguing from like a DFS standpoint or anything. Like you're not, you're not going to be like super excited to stack Saints, Saints-Eagles. Uh, but at the same time, I think that we can learn a little bit about this Eagles offense by what they do against the Saints.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the Eagles in the second half the past three games. I've Called 20 pass plays to 60 <laughs> run plays. <laughs> like, like it's insane. Like it's an insane split. Uh, I'm I'm actually interested too as well because the Saints are so good against the run. You'd say that they'd force them out. But remember, this was Jalen Hurts' first start. Was in the same spot at home against the Saints last year. Oh, yeah, that's right. When when they hadn't allowed a hundred yard rusher in like thirty that's straight right. games. And
0: Miles Sanders broke that huge one again.
1: Man. And and Jalen Hurts had hundred yards rushing in yeah. that game as well. So yeah. I'm really curious to see like the the symmetry of that kind of all come together because everyone's kind of on the same train of like, well, they can't run on the Saints. They're going to have to throw. And it's like, well, last year they did run on the Saints. Like you know, so it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I like that spot as well. We like it for our boy Klaus Watkins uh, if yeah, Dallas man. Goddard can't play. Uh, they had to go to so many three wide receiver sets after Dallas got, got hurt. So hopefully, Quez, hang on to the rock this week, Quez. Uh, you got you to squeeze Seriously. those, uh, especially when Jalen Hurts is throwing them dimes. But all right, I, I'll let you get out of here on that note. Uh, you know, I did want to ask you a little bit about the Reddit thing, but we'll, we'll save that for another time. I mean,
0: you uh, can ask me. It's fine, man. <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm an open book here.
1: Yeah, r- real quick then, because I, I the ambiguous running back article, I was trying to find it on the internet to get back to it. And I couldn't find it, you know, through Google searches. And I ended up finding it through Reddit. And I would known that you've done this before, but you're talking to all these people on Reddit uh, and, and, like, re- responding to people that are even maybe criticizing you, either offering advice. And, like, you're, like, actively involved in the Reddit community. I've never waded into the Reddit waters. I've always considered it the heart of darkness. I remember when I first even started using the internet, I used to go on, like, the IMDb movie chat boards I'm huge and huge movie buff I'm into movies yeah. and like that was like the heart of darkness so i can't imagine what like fantasy football advice on reddit is and i see you're just in here with the people <laughs> with the mass you're in the mosh pit and you're like having conversations with these people about fantasy football and answering your criticisms one like how did you even get to this point you like like is this is, is this actually something like all these like uppercomers should be
0: doing so okay so <laughs> Let me, let me, let me say this. I am not, I'm not super active on Reddit. What I do is I, I think there's a lot of, uh, interesting feedback that you can get when people are talking about things, uh, and they know that the people or the thing that they're talking about is not around. Right. So it's sort of like people are talking behind our back. And they don't think or see you around there, so they're just saying whatever. It's like it's like when people subtweet you, right? Like if they subtweet something and they're they're just they're talking about you, but you're not seeing it because they're not adding you. Um, but we're also active on Twitter, that it's very hard for something like that to happen because if someone says something like you know JJ said this idiotic thing on his podcast, someone's gonna eventually tag that person to me, and I'm gonna eventually see it, right? Mm-hmm. But there there's it's so anonymous on Reddit, um, and and people will say. Uh, you know, you have to you have to approach it from the perspective that yes, people on there are going to be way more negative than positive, just in general, right? But I, I think what what I've enjoyed with it is I will randomly Google probably once a week my name, which is very Googleable, my name, uh, and Reddit or or my podcast, lay around podcast, and Reddit, and I will see what people are saying about the show and, and or or about me or whatever. And so I'll either be able to like correct things that like someone the other day had some post and, and in the post, they were like talking about James Conner and said that I said to sell James Conner, which I never had said all season long on my shows or anything. So I was able to correct that. And then the person just changed it in the, in the, uh, um, in his original post and stuff and edit it. And now people don't see that out there. Not that it was like that big of a deal, but I'm at least having like conversations with these people. And, and then there's, you know, when, when people are out there, like organically giving love to what I'm doing in my podcast I go around and i like, thank them. Like, I just, I, it's, it's important to me. Like to, like, if people are out there, like really, really promoting the show there, there's at least two threads a week on Reddit uh, with people asking for podcast recommendations. And there's nothing cooler than someone saying, listen to the late round podcast and then having the most upvotes in that thread. Like, it's a very humbling slash just a cool experience because I'm just a dude who's trying to do this podcast and like all these people who are liking it and they're upvoting it and stuff. And I got to thank the dude for, for throwing that out there and for allowing, you know, other people to vote on that and to uh, show love to the show. So a lot of my interaction on Reddit has become me thanking people. And then there will be people that say nasty stuff about me or like my show and stuff, but I always see it. And I always come from the perspective of like, these people aren't trolling me because if they were trolling me, they would be adding me, right? Like they would, they would, they would be purposefully getting my attention. That's what trolls do. They want to, they want to get that person riled up. And so when they're just out there saying like, JJ's voice is annoying, or I hate the way that he presents information, that's like honest feedback. Like, I, I think it's a, a way more, or a, be, a way better way to get genuine, honest feedback than someone hitting you up on Twitter, getting angry at you because you recommended the wrong thing and then saying that you're an idiot and your sleeper show sucks, which happened to me today. So, so I, I that, that's really the main reason that I go on Reddit. Cause I think it's a lot more uh organic and genuine feedback than i would than i would get like on any other platform
1: nice i respect that i, mean, I would never think ever in a million years i'd want to google my name and Reddit <laughs> and see what would come up uh <laughs> It left it's like when the athletes search their name out on Twitter, I'm like, dude, you weren't even added, and you're responding to that. Like, you're they're like, yeah, of course you yeah.
0: asked. Like, if it ever if it ever got to like the point, like like Michael Thomas is the dude who just like right. know, he goes nuts on Twitter if you if you ever tweet him. And like, I remember you know Mark Ingram blocked me because I made some joke about his steroid use uh, whenever he came back from that suspension a few years ago like he blocked me for that, which was deserved. You know, I was being, being a little bit, uh, being you know, what
1: JD McKissick, it. I think got at you. Yeah, or, J- JD
0: McKissick came at me when I called him small. Yeah. Well, then he
1: died. Steve Smith killed Denny. He, Steve he literally. Smith killed Denny. It.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think that that kind of stuff is like, I've never Google or I never, not Google. I never searched for myself on Twitter because people would just tag me generally. I mean, I, I right. don't need to like, I don't think people are like writing out my name or anything like that. I can get it to some degree, but the problem is that like, Like when people tweet about athletes, they're not actually like giving the athlete constructive criticism or, or criticism in some, like they're, they're criticizing them for not scoring enough fantasy points or they're criticizing them because they're quote bad at the game or something like, you know, like, yo, he should be cut. Like they're not getting anything out of that. Whereas like, I'm actually, I get some, some good feedback from, from what I'm reading on there. So I'm going to continue to do it, even though sometimes, you know, I got to take a step back and breathe and be like, okay, this dude's not coming after me. They're not trying to be mean. They're just giving, you know, their honest take about how they feel about this podcast. And I can utilize that and make the podcast better.
1: I respect it. Uh, you know, one thing that I always do this year, it's not a bitter thing, but you know, I, I call, you know, these players out by their government names, you know, uh, AJ, Dylan, <laughs> Algiers, Jamil, and I've never, you know, I have you on the show that goes like, JJ, do you want to divulge the people what your government is or no?
0: Uh, no, no, we can't, we can't do that. People, Fair people enough. can guess. I, I'm going to Arthur I'm gonna Juan. Guess. Yeah. I'll just be, I'll be one,
1: Fair enough. All right, man, listen, let the people know where they can find you and I'll let you off the hook here.
0: Yeah. Uh, on Twitter at late round QB, my podcast, the late round podcast, you can find that anywhere. And that's pretty much it.
1: Beautiful. That'll put a bow on week 11 with my guest JJ Zachary. we'll be back. Actually, we will not be back in week 12. I'll say I'm taking the week off for Thanksgiving, uh, because next week's Thanksgiving, they could, uh, Schedule's just too content, so I won't have a fantasy show next week. Me and Dan will still have our game preview show on the Sharp Angle feed, but the fantasy show is going to take a week off. So we'll see you in week 13. <laughs>